Hey. hey, and we're live. What's up, Luke? Woo-hoo. Bible banter, baby. Wait, there's a baby. Oh, you got some, you have some exciting news to, to share with us? No, 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 nothing like that. I, I was just excited. I was, I was uh, calling you sweet names. That's very, very nice of you. And we kind of we ran into something uh, just earlier today. We talked and because we're supposed to have um, our good friend. Uh, Troy on the podcast this Saturday, so we're not we're again not going to have an episode of Bible Banter on Thursday. It's going to be on Saturday, which is the Fourth of July, by the way. True, um, true. But I didn't realize that when we scheduled him, and I have a full day of spending time with my family. So uh, you are taking it upon yourself, yeah. And inspire you to check with Troy just to make sure. He I, cool. I am going to double check with Troy, and um, we'll make sure we let you guys know if anything changes. But as far as I know. Troy and I will be on Saturday at two o'clock and Eric's just going to have to miss the fun. Yeah. Sorry, man. I'm, I'm really regretting that I won't be here for it. Cause he he's going to be talking about um, racial reconciliation and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that, which is going to be really cool. So I really had a lot of things I wanted to talk about. So I'm kind of disappointed. I kind of hope he can't make it on Saturday and then we just postpone it for, we, we might, time. we might just have to bring him back. He, we, we can make him the first Trinity of Bible banter oh my goodness why are we gonna dude so first off the comments over the weekend in our in our saturday podcast episode was were phenomenal um i just want to say hey i appreciate everybody that was engaging including um including those who disagreed with you and i and and it was just it was really good um i pray that the lord uses that as a as a way to um educate us and and continue to um give us a heart for one another. Yeah. So, well, we, we talk a big game about, you know, we're willing to have those conversations. So that uh, all that talk is really being put to the test. Are we actually willing to engage in dialogue with people who disagree with us? Yeah. And, and I think that we are, we're trying to be winsome, but also firm in, mm-hmm. in our convictions because we do believe that the Trinity, which we are talking about today in regards to the eternal subordination of the sun versus the economy of the Trinity and all that's entailed in that, um, we're, we're, uh, we're trying to engage in a winsome way, but also remaining firm because we do believe that outside, you know, um, Brian's joining us. We do believe that there, that's a view, you know, a modalistic view or a non-Trinitarian view is outside the bounds of orthodoxy. And, yeah. and that is something that's concerning. And, and we, because we think it matters that much. I mean, that's why we're talking about it. Uh, Hey, Carolyn. Hi, Mike. Good to see you, Brian. Baby save the culture. Oh, Mike wants, Mike would like a new Reynolds baby in the mix. Hey, Tom. <laughs> oh, goodness. Wow. Hey, Brian. Uh, did well, I, anybody, did I miss anybody? I just hope, I just hope Robin's not listening or watching because now she, now her, her interest is going to be peaked. <laughs> Mike is now going to be her favorite pastor. I'm telling you, you, the Bible three is an important number in the Bible. You got to have at least three. Hey, Moose. Moose, I got some good news. I just put your book in the mail. I'm really sorry it took this long. I'm I'm just a turd when it comes to these things. So I'm really, really sorry. But I but I didn't realize Moose, you live in Raleigh. So it's I could have I could have drove it to your house. Goodness. But anyway. Mike's got a point here, Eric. You need a few more arrows in that quiver. I don't doubt that. I, I, I Robin oh, says no more babies here. Robin shutting it down. If yeah. mama says no more babies, no more babies. Yeah, well, you're not the one that has to carry him to term. <laughs> that's that, that's for sure. That is for sure. Nor nor that be 
my intent. Dude, I um God bless you too, Brian. Um I do kind of want to show everybody my t-shirt. My right, wife so, got this for me. Yes, she got this for me over the weekend. Show the t-shirt and then we'll make the big announcement. <laughs> for those who are historically ignorant, this is a um, picture of Abe Lincoln on my t-shirt with USA and some sunglasses ready no, for the 4th of July because Luke hates honest Abe. I, I got to say, even I can approve of that shirt. That's a great shirt. I have, I have to tell a quick story now because okay. you now that I've seen your shirt. So I was listening to, um, let's just say, a big name evangelical pastor. I don't even need to mention his name. Well, now and, you got my – who is it? I'm now, my, now I'm tickled. Well, I'm like, it is. It's going to stir contrary. All right, I'll, fine. I'll tell you. Driscoll. I was listening to Mark Driscoll. Recently? Uh, yes. He, like he, a recent thing? He is now pastoring a church oh, down in, I think, either Arizona or Texas. Um, hasn't he already rejected like reformed theology too? Well, we, we can get into the Driscoll stuff on another day. That's why I didn't want to say his name. Well, first of all, I've been, I've benefited from his teaching before he went haywire, before he went crazy. I will tell you, there was some pretty wacky stuff that went on, but I actually continued to benefit from his teaching. So he, um, I was listening to a message that he gave a couple weeks ago. Uh, out of, I think it was first Peter chapter two, maybe second Peter chapter two. And it was right after all the riots and stuff. So he spoke about um, social justice and the Marxist worldview. And, and in my opinion, one of the things that makes him such a really good teacher is he has an incredible way of taking very complex ideas and boiling them down very simply. Mm. So spoke really, really well about those things. And then he starts talking about slavery Um which was part of what was addressed in that in that passage. And then he starts singing Lincoln's praises and I made me so mad. Cuz it was cuz he cuz he was I was tracking with him the whole I mean it was a long sermon too it was like an hour. And I was uh-huh. tracking him with him for the first 50 minutes and then he starts going on about about how great Lincoln was and I was like, "Man, Driscoll, you let me down. You let me down." <laughs> well, you know, my yeah, I got I, I I appreciate his former teaching. I guess now the, the only question is whether or not he's still fit to be an elder. But um, yeah, it, it's it's a tough question. I, I think maybe that actually could be an interesting discussion for us to have at some point. Is is that conversation of um, when is it appropriate to restore a, a leader who's been removed? Yeah, I don't hate America. Mike does, or or Luke does hate and, America. And I don't hate Lincoln either. I just view him differently. Lincoln's the MVP. He's definitely not the MVP. That I can say with certainty. Uh, oh gosh, you guys! You need to so- stop listening to these Looney Tunes on YouTube. That's what it is. You know, you know what I can't. You know what I cannot handle. I'm okay with people approving of Lincoln. I can't handle the Lincoln fanboyery. It's so gross. It's so gross. Although that shirt is awesome. <laughs> that shirt is amazing. Let, 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 let's set aside uh, uh, this for a moment. I'll have to school you on this on another day. But today we have a really exciting announcement. We do. Yeah. Tell them about it. So my book is ready, is is published. My book Woo-hoo! is published. My book is published. Uh, tell us the title, tell us what the book's about, and then tell everybody where they can find it. Yeah, so the book is titled Go, Teaching All That Jesus Commands to Those 
Jesus commands us to reach. And you can find it on Amazon. I'll actually pull up the the link for you here in a moment and and drop it down there in the um in the comment section. But um yeah, so it's a book. I actually finished it quite quite a long time ago and really been going through the the whole process of publishing it with help of um, other pastor. Where'd Luke go? I guess I bored him to death with my book. I, um, um, I was getting a, little, getting a little toasty. I had to turn up my air conditioner. So, um, so yeah, so I, I finished the book probably over a year ago, uh, spanning. Whoa, Mike is dropping heat today. <laughs> Mike, that's rough, man. So it's, it's, it's hard it's hard to call it a book. It's only like 45 pages. So I guess Mike has some, <laughs> some truth to it, but, um, but I, I had some help with some other pastors who helped, helped edit it. Um, Tom Logry and, and some others. Then I also brought it to ACGC and they helped me with designing the cover and do, redoing some of the images that are including in the book because I'm not a very smart guy. So I like pictures. So we included pictures in there. And um, so we published it via KDP, uh, which is on Amazon. And the reason we did that is because it's so inexpensive. Uh, so anywhere else would have incurred a lot of upfront cost. This incurred zero upfront cost. And I'm able to get it at a, I, the whole point of the book is to help people understand that their call is to make disciples. And it's a lot more simple than they think it is. Hmm. That's the premise of the book. And I give practical um, application, practical ideas on how you can do it. And uh, I have, in fact, read the book, and I would never think to give a dishonest three-star review. So here's, <laughs> here's my honest five-star review. Uh, three things about the book that I that I think um, make it it make it. There's no way that you can't read it. Okay, for these three reasons. Number one, it is short and simple. This is a book written for common people. Number two. It is intensely practical. So this is not Eric spouting off a bunch of uh, ideas that are irrelevant to what you're going to do tomorrow or this afternoon. Um, this, this, the intention of this book and the thrust of this book is toward action. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then thirdly, it's just solid. I, I mean, credit, well, glory to God, uh, but also credit to Eric for managing uh, to establish a sound theological foundation for the practical application, but then making sure that the bulk of the book is directed toward what you actually are to do. And I I think it would be great for you to read. I think it would be great for you to read with your leaders or even with your church. I highly recommend it. Yeah, my hope, and and I already know because I got my first review today, which is from Bickford, Uh, you know, longtime viewer, longtime commenter. And um, he put a review on there. It hasn't shown up yet because it takes like 24 hours, but he'd read it, giving me some feedback. He was one of these folks who, who gave me a lot of feedback. Um, and, and I'm grateful for him. He just got it in the mail too. So, so I'm pretty excited. So it's available on Kindle for, I think it's $2.99 on Kindle and it's $5.99 for the paperback. Yeah. And the intent is, as Bickford talked about, He's like, hey, man, this could be something that I might use with my church to help them understand their call to make disciples. So I really break it out into three areas of your life, uh, and that being in your home, in the workplace, and then in, in, in the workplace, cons- 
is also like your community where you where you have your hobbies and stuff like mm-hmm. that, uh, but also in the church. So those yeah. three areas and just practical ideas, just to get the, the juices flowing. I even have a, like a sheet in there, like a worksheet where you can work out the different areas of your life that you can be um, making disciples in the way. So, and I'm already, I just finished the manuscript for, for a follow-up too. So I got, I got that out there with some guys who are going to edit it, tell me how dumb I am and then make the corrections. So pretty exciting. Awesome. So yeah. Thanks. And thanks Glenn, your books on the way too. not, not this book, not go, but the, the one that you won the other day. Yes. Because when we give up prizes on Bible banter, we really want you to anticipate (laughs) validate for that prize and so we like to wait a little bit before yeah yeah so i appreciate the plug luke and and anybody who's interested and if you're looking to get multiple copies hit me up let me know because i can get them at a a greater discount than what's on amazon so Uh, i'll say this too i know it's a running trope on the show that i never read not only did i read eric's book i probably read it in less than an hour hour and a half so even if you hate the book you're not going to waste much time yeah. So if it is a waste of time, it's not a waste of that much time. No, no, no. no. Just, just, just go order it. Just go do it. Yeah. Uh, one other quick plug. As always, you can join the Bible Banter Club at uh, patreon.com slash Bible Banter. Make sure that you like, make sure that you share, make sure that you comment and get in the conversation uh, and tell your friends. Bible Banter, baby. Baby. Bible banter baby. And how about this? Just to incentivize things. If you go out and you purchase my book that is in the comments, if you go and purchase my book, either on Kindle, um, I'm now dry from salvating too much. So really it's more of a booklet. Yeah. Yeah. It's more like a booklet, Matt. Thank you for, and Matt had for, has free access to the book. He is a VIP member of the banter club. So he had, he got access before anybody else. So um, that's one of the benefits of being in the banter club is you get access to the books that Luke and I put out. Although Luke doesn't write because he doesn't read Um, you get access to those before anyone else. But if you go ahead and purchase my purchase uh, go and, um, and leave a review, it can just an honest review can be three stars, can be one star, can be no stars. I'm not, for I'm not sure how to feel about the the fact that uh, I don't know if you remember the first one who made this joke on the podcast. It was actually Jim Lee a few weeks ago, but this picture book joke is now becoming another running trope, and I'm not sure how to feel about it. Oof. Oof. So if you um so in the next few days, anybody who who orders and leaves a review, um because actually you get access if you buy the if you buy the print version, if you buy the print version, you get access to Kindle right away. So you can buy the print version, get access to the Kindle. It's a really good deal. If you do that, sit down, read it for an hour, and then leave an honest review. Um, I'll enter you, we'll enter you in to win a free book um, on the podcast. Matt, so. you're gonna you're gonna have to provide uh, video or audio evidence of me making that promise. I don't remember saying any such thing. Uh, <laughs> we we need to we need to really turn um, toward the meat of the show today, though, because boy, do we have a heavy subject to tackle today. Goodness. Gracious, but but Dude. one but one that's very relevant to what we've been discussing, which is in fact uh, the nature of Christ and the Trinity yeah. and the nature of God. So, Eric, what are we talking about today? We are talking about the heresy. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We, <laughs> right uh, out the gate from the God. Um, so we're looking. We're talking about the eternal subordination of the Son. Luke also calls it the eternal function. 
functional subordination of the sun. Mm -hmm. There's what's the other one? Eros. Yeah. I, I just learned there's a third title for it. It's funny. Eric and I were saying there are like five people who hold this view, but apparently they all have a different name for it. The other one is eternal relation of authority and um, submission. It's essentially because you try and put lipstick on lipstick on a pig thinking it's not going to be a pig anymore. And then now, when you go, then when you go to kiss on the lips, you're actually surprised. Now let, let's have a little bit of respect for the people who hold the view. I mean, among them is Wayne Grudem, who who is uh, at the very top in, in terms of systematic theologians of our generation. I, I I can't think of many others that I would sort of place in the same category as far as uh, faithful exposition of scriptural theology. Well, so, I can think of. There, 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 there are others, but I, I would, I, at least in my view, he's, he's in that group. He, the reason Grudem is prominent is because he's reformed Baptist and he wrote a systematic theology that is very understandable. Yes. So that's why his name is prominent. He's also a former professor. I forget at the school. Uh, I'm trying to see it on my bookshelf. Maybe I put it on the Harrison shelf. Mm -hmm. Um Oh, here it is. So he's a former professor. Is the heresy shelf what you call your fireplace? No, the heresy shelf is what I call my Advent Christian shelf. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Golly. Dude, we're, we're doing this for Phoenix uh, Seminary. For Advent Christian voices. You can't talk. Dude, you don't bite the I'm hand kidding. of Egypt. I'm kidding. Bite the hand of Egypt. I'm, I really am kidding. But just to give you a perspective, his systematic theology is recommended on the back of the book. Uh, Chuck Colson, J.I. Packer, Paige Patterson, John Piper, Gerald Bray, Jack Hayford. So some heavy hitters have endorsed this systematic theology. And it isn't a bad systematic theology. It's actually quite good in some ways, uh, except for the eternal subordination of the sun. He gets the Trinity wrong. So, um, so let's um, let's let's start with this. Let's just sort of each give our um, basic reaction to the idea of EFS, and then we can sort of start breaking down. Okay, if this is an error, how serious an error is it? Does it have any consequences? What are some of the arguments we need to address in favor of this view? But let's just sort of start each of us with our general view about EFS. Um, I, I would I, I like to think of eternal functional subordination or eternal subordination of the sun or this new term, eras, uh, e eternal relations of authority and submission. I sort of like to think about this as uh, systematic theology gone too far. So we have in the scriptures, God's revelation of himself. And there are things that we can say confidently are true about God. And then, and we might get into this later in the podcast. Uh, and then there is sort of the next step in systematic theology, where you take reason and rationality and logic, and you sometimes try to logically extend some of those statements to their ultimate conclusion. I view EFS as the um, inevitable result of systematic theology going too far, where instead of just taking what the Bible says, we now take it to what we perceive as the logical conclusion. And uh, in this case, some theologians have gone too far and drawn a conclusion that simply is not supported by Scripture, unless uh, you... You you use logic as a way to say what the scripture doesn't say. 
what's your view? What, what's your view on EFS? Uh, that you're wrong. Um, oh, it's, oh. Not, it's not. Well, it's can, not. You can correct. Not, you can correct me later. First, you got to try. I'm trying. Well, uh, we haven't even defined ESS yet, so we yeah. have to. We have to do that. But I guess uh, our first take. I guess that's what you're wanting. Is our first like kind of gut reaction to ESS, is that um, it's not in in your language. You're saying that it is systematic theology going too far. In my language, it's systematic theology taking the wrong direction. So if you go to a fork in the road, um, instead of going left, you went right. You were supposed to go left. So um, and left is within orthodoxy, within Nicene um, uh, Trinitarianism. And on the right, you have uh, everything else. And I would say that ESS, although it's not heretical, I think that it is unorthodox at best. Hmm. And in uh, like it's kissing heresy, like like it's taking it out for a date and, and like trying to see if it wants to if it wants to get hitched. It's kissing it through wax paper. So there's no contact, but the it's kissing uh, it through the phone, the sensation is there. So uh, let's let's actually define it. And I'm going to go first so that you can then correct me, because you tend to be quite a bit more uh, uh, grounded when it comes to understanding theological terms. To my understanding, eternal functional subordination um, basically teaches that the Son of God is eternally in submission to and subordination under the Father, which is not to say, and this is where we should be careful not to misrepresent the people who, who hold to this view, which is not to say that the Son is inferior. It's an issue of position or hierarchy or authority where the God the Father eternally has authority uh, over God the Son. I want us to get down to brass tacks and get and make this as plain for people as possible because when I hear people talk about ESS, my head spins. It is we the, it is so philosophical and it is so like out there that it's hard to wrap your head around, right? And then when you ask questions, there's no hard like it, it's just very difficult to grasp. Okay, so I'm going to say it for all all my fellow dumb people out there. I'm going to try and spell it out for us because it took me some time, took me talking with Bickford too, to fully form like, hey, man, th is this how you understand ESS? Yeah, that's how I understand it. Well, let me look at some other stuff. So so let me let me boil it down. ESS in, in its belief is that God or, or the Son and Holy Spirit are ontologically. Now, on, ontology essentially means it's being, right? So in their very being, they are subordinate to God the Father in their very being, not in their role, but in their very being. So Luke and I would affirm that they are, and the Nicene Creed, um, and what we believe, the, which is a summation of what the Bible teaches on the Trinity, is that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are ontologically the same. They are in themselves, in their very being, there is no hierar hierarchy. But in their roles, which we call the economy of the Trinity, the economy of the Godhead, that it's not so much subordination, but they each have a role to play. They each have a role. They're ontologically the same in, in their being or in their uh, um, being on the same level, so to speak. But in their roles, there is the Father who sends the Son and the Father and Son who send the Holy Spirit. So... 
that is in their role, not in their ontology, not in their being. It's kind of like this, Luke. You and I are both um, complementarians, but the kinder kind, not the ones who seek to subjugate women, but those who um, see it as complementary. So those who subjugate women using complementarianism often do come from a perspective of ESS. They see that women are ontologically in their being subordinate to men, that there is a hierarchy. But in what I think biblical complementarianism is, is that they recognize that with it, even within the Trinity, that you have not a hierarchy, but you have complementarity. They each have a role to play that is no less or or, or greater than the other person of the Trinity, just like in the household. Men fulfill a specific role, but are in no greater position or ontologically any better or worse than their wives. Now, um, here's where I think it is helpful for us to empathize a little bit with the people who hold this view. Uh, and I think there's two things that need to be said. The first is, from my perspective, uh, even, even if this bumps up against what we might use the H word for, uh, I don't view these people as heretics. I don't view them as heretics either. There are some within conservative evangelicalism that would refer to these people as heretics. I think, and I get it, um, but I, I don't necessarily think, I, I do think, uh, Bickford will correct me, but I think for something to actually be a heresy, it has to be anathematized by a church council, you know, to get to its, to get to its definition. So, um, Considering I don't think we have church councils anymore. Well, I, 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 let me put it this way. Like I would, I would take communion with someone who holds this view. I would worship alongside someone who takes this view. I would um, baptize someone who takes this view. Uh, it, it's to, to me, even if it's wrong, it, it doesn't at least, at least in its current form, it could be that it, as it develops, that it becomes something more, uh, dogmatically distinct from orthodoxy where we are going to have to draw the line in the sand, but at least as far, I mean, this is a fairly, fairly new view, at least the way that it's being expressed. I'm, I'm, it's not all that different from some other uh, heterodoxies from the past, but generally, at least in this sort of this new wave of, uh, of, of, of theological movement, it's not yet really, separated itself theologically from from orthodoxy so i take i'm i'm pretty soft on it and i think too it would be helpful now for us to acknowledge what sort of drives it textually because there are some texts of scripture that they use to support it which if you take their line of thinking i actually see efs as sort of a logical conclusion um so a, a lot of the texts that they cite are uh, texts in, for example, the book of John that talk about Jesus Christ uh, submitting to the Father, doing the Father's will, seeking the Father's glory, speaking the Father's words. Would you say that's generally the, the text that they use to support the view? Um, to be honest, I don't engage nearly enough with, with these, cause I don't like in our circles that, that we're like, I, I'm not in those circles really all that much, but, uh, you know, in reading Grudem and reading some others, I think, I think the concern, right. Is, is 
we can look at the scriptures and we have all these preconceived notions when we come into it. So, you know, you and I are just as likely as someone else to come to the scriptures and say, here's what I already think. Now let me see how the scripture fits into that. And the role of like a good expositor or a good study of the Bible is to come at it with, with as little preconceived notions as possible and allow that to inform your biblical and systematic theology. So the Bible should be informing your beliefs. Your beliefs should not be informing the Bible. Yes. So I want to be careful because we want to get to the text and say, what's the best explanation of what the text has to say? Now, is it ESS or is it on the economy of the Trinity, the economy of God? So those those are um, two very important things or, or we're going to come out on one of those um one of one of those ends now he i i'm very different from you in in the sense of how highly i regard this um now now i i wouldn't consider it a heresy i i would be concerned however with someone whether it was in my church or now again going back to what we said this past saturday there's a difference between ignorance you know just being ill-informed or uninformed in someone being taught something and then rejecting it right those are two mm-hmm. different things so um, I want to know where this person's at, right? So is it yeah. just not fully understanding the, the issues? So here's one of the issues I have with ESS, right? Mm-hmm. Is it goes to the very nature of God. So it goes to if if the son is eternally subordinate. So again, he's ontologically different from God. He's ontologically um, subservient, right, to God then you might as well be a tritheist, okay? Because now you have three different gods of the, it's more like the Greek mythology, right? Well, Where on, you have, you got Zeus. Well, hold on, pause, pause. So you, this got, is, you got Zeus, you got, what? No, this, this is this is where we are going to fight a little bit. Um, let, let me, let oh, me. Okay, well, can I finish? Can I finish telling you how essentially you're, you're allowing the Greek uh, yeah, gods yeah. to come into the Christian Yes, you can finish so it. So essentially, you're 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 creating a hierarchy of gods right so you've got the big god zeus who's created all these other gods and that's that's you're gonna either end up in 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 tritheism or or another um set of heresies in that regard yeah or you're gonna still try and hold on to the trinity but you're going to compromise on saying well god has different wills so there's three so so the son is going to will something different from the father so now God is no longer immutable, meaning unchanging. God's no longer um, omniscient or omnipresent. So each each person of the Trinity is going to have a different character and a different um, um, ontology, and that's just that that's a problem for. I, I I think I think you are misrepresenting the view a little bit because at least from what I've been exposed to, and I'll be an expert on this either. Um, none of the major EFS proponents deny. The Trinity, nor would they use a phrase like you just used about God creating. They wouldn't. They wouldn't. And, and I'm just saying I'm taking it to the logical conclusion. Right. But you're you're actually doing what I think their problem is. We'll get into that in a minute. <laughs> okay. but, first, but, but first, I, I want to ask you a question because I want to push back on this a little bit. Um, so you 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 made a pretty strong statement about so I, I, I understand, I do understand the concerns about trajectory of where, you know, where theology leads. However, you actually made a statement that, which um, the first half of it, I totally agreed with this idea that we want to allow scripture to determine or to, to influence our belief, not our beliefs to influence scripture. Mm -hmm. But then you said you have a problem once someone believes something that begins to 
um, reject scriptural teaching. So my question for you would be, what scriptural teaching would an, an EFS perspective reject? Because I can't think of any. Yeah, so again, I think it gets into, and maybe this goes to your point of, of systematic theology going too far. Maybe mm-hmm. it does. I think maybe it's systematic theology getting too philo- philosophical. Mm-hmm. Right. So like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna share this verse with you. Okay. So first Peter two, verse two. All right. So Peter writes, according to the foreknowledge of God. So just to give people a perspective, we're looking at the different roles of the persons of the Trinity. Okay. So according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, now again, this also goes back to our reformed theology. God foreknows, right? So he has foreknowledge in the sanctification of the spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. So again, so we're looking at God, the father has foreknowledge, the Holy spirit sanctifies and uh, for the purpose of obedience to Jesus in whom we've been sprinkled with his blood. So, so one could say, and I could see how this would fit into both sides, right? Yes. And that's why it goes down to, it comes down to a philosophical argument, I think. Yeah. So is God of one essence or is he not? And if he is of one essence, how can each person be subordinate in essence in their ontology? You yeah. see what you see, you see where I'm coming from? Yeah, I, I do. And this is you, you've, you've picked the perfect point for us to now have a slightly different fight, which is going to be related to this, but it has to do with systematic theology and the use of philosophy and human reason. So here's where I think the EFS people go wrong. Um, I think that they take statements in the New Testament that from from, um, the Son of God in the flesh, uh, before his ascension and his exaltation. uh, Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying he wasn't exalted before. He set that aside or emptied himself or, or humiliated or humbled himself. And then, and then of course, um, when he ascends to the presence of his father, he's given the name that is above every name and all that language we're very familiar with. I think what they've done is they've taken those statements in the, in the life of Christ during his humiliation, and they have used them, they've extrapolated them to eternity. So they say, because this was, as you might say, the economy between father and son um, for this season, namely the life, the, the life of Christ, those 30, 33 years, and they've extrapolated it eternity back and eternity forward. Mm-hmm. Then you have the, the opponents of EFS who say, no, uh, uh, equal or identical ontology before and after all that changes in the is the economy. I think both groups have gone too far. I think what we can say is we don't know. We know the economy then. There are statements about the economy, uh, certainly after his ascension and exaltation, perhaps in some places before, but I don't think the scripture makes it clear or plain that the people who subscribe to EFS are wrong. I also don't think it makes it plain that they're right. There's no biblical reason for us, for them to make that extrapolation. Um, And I think as much as possible, we don't want to say less than the scriptures say, and we don't want to say more than the scriptures say. And this is where I object to a lot of uh, systematic theology. And I think another um, 
another God-given because you don't read books. Another, I have, I've, I've definitely read yeah. Gruden. Um, I think another teacher that I'm very thankful for, who who has espoused um, wonderful biblical ideas, but went too far, was Calvin. Where I see in a lot of Calvin's writings, where human reason, philosophy, logic takes biblical truth and then extrapolates it to what is seen as the logical or ultimate conclusion. And I would say, no, we say as much as the scriptures say, we never say less and we should not say more. I respect what you're saying. Um, I think that's a very Lutheran view of things. You know, you don't want to say more or less of what the scripture says. And and I'm sympathetic to that. And, and I don't entirely disagree, but then you came after my boy. <laughs> 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 I, wanted, I, wanted, I wanted to say some fighting words, so I had to go after your boy. I couldn't just so, so uh, and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to defend Calvin in that sense, um, because there are there are things that we can often go way out in left field on. Everybody has a tendency to do that. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, we ask more more questions of the scriptures than the scriptures intend to answer. And when we do go down that path, it is a dangerous path. It is one in which we can come up with things like the eternal subordination of the sun. Um, we, we need to look at what the scriptures speak to. But in defense of Calvin I, and, and anyone who does systematic theology, that you are asking questions and you're looking towards the scriptures to what they have to say. And God does give reason for us to use. But when our reason, because our reason is flawed, we are finite beings and God is a infinite being that when when we use reason, we have to understand that it's coming from a fallen perspective, and we always have to measure it against scripture. And the benefit that we have in the 21st century, and this is real, I mean, it is embarrassing how many riches we have in the 21st century with the resources that we have, right? At a click of a button, you can read things from all the way from the first century. So first, second, third century authors and forward. That's why it's important for pastors, but laymen as well, to read historical works of theology to kind of see the train of thought and how certain things have developed. How did we end up where we are today? It is incredibly important. Um, and you can see the flaws in other people's views. My, I, I wrote a paper on, on Luther's view of the Jews, and it was appalling to see the things that he wrote about um, the Jews back in the 16th century. And even to see those writings were used in the 1930s by the Nazis to justify the murdering of an entire people. Mm-hmm. We can look at what has been historically done within their time period and judge it based on the time period and kind of see how that built off of those who came before them and how we've built off of them. So it is important for us to at least read systematic theology, historic historic works and contemporary ones, engage with it, ask questions of what they're saying, and measure it against the text of Scripture. Yes. And that's what we have to do. And our brothers that are ESS, I'm sure they've done the same thing. We've come to a different conclusion, but I think it is important for us to understand the flaws that are found within the ESS camp. Yeah. You're talking about the very nature of God, not the, not the, the work of God. Now, I, I want to read this. This is um, a brother sent me this article this morning when we decided that we're going to cover this. And the end of this article, you can find it on CARM, which is Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry. Um, and it's under economic trinity. That's you can look it up. And the end of the article, he says, to be overly simplistic, we can say that ontological trinity, right? That's the ontological trinity is, is essentially ESS, deals with what good is and the 
economic trinity deals deals with what God does. Mm -hmm. So what we're saying is that when we read these texts where it seems where where Jesus is obeying the Father, right? He joyfully obeys, which is which I mean, how incredible is it for us to serve um serve Christ who joyfully obeyed? He had within himself the same will as the Father. Um, and, and he was joyfully submitting to that same will, the mm-hmm. call that God the Father had put on him. Mm-hmm. It, they each have their own specific role. Redemption would not have happened if the Father did not ordain it. But it also would not have happened if Jesus had, had not been born. And it would not be applied to us had the Spirit not been sent to us. Hmm. That's good. Um, Brian makes a really interesting comment that I think I'd like to address. Uh, how would you separate Hellenistic philosophy from John? I think, of course, he's talking about Hellenistic philosophy specifically regarding uh, God and his nature and things like uh, ontology, a lot of these these theological words that you're using. Um, I, I here, Here's my answer, and I'll be curious to hear answers. I actually wouldn't separate it. I, I think sometimes, um, and this, this, Brian, I think is going to really highlight the difference between your view of Scripture um, and what I would consider the believing view. Of scripture. Uh, it, it has to do with the nature of inspiration. So I don't deny that other cultures or traditions or um, ancient writings hold truth within them. I, like I, I, I don't throw out um, Samurabi's uh, uh, code. I don't throw out uh, Aristotle or Plato in the, and say, there's nothing of truth in these. All truth is God's truth. So if we see in the scriptures ideas that we might find in other cultures or other places or other traditions, that I don't think we can then assume, well, that was that that means that it, it can't be true. The Holy Spirit and in inspiring the biblical authors um, inspired them to write truth. Now that truth could very well have been affected by their culture. Um, by their, the philosophy of their day. Like I, I, we, I, almost no one who subscribes to the inspiration of scripture takes the view that um, the Holy Spirit and in inspiring the scriptures removed the personality or the culture or the cultural influences of the author. It's, it's more like there's a filter through which nothing passed except that which was true. So I, I think your question actually betrays a fundamental assumption which is if something that scripture presents as true can be found in some degree in, in other cultures or writings, well, that must mean that either it was stolen uh, or it was it, it basically it co-opted the Christian faith, right? Well, this, this was sort of the way that it was corrupted by this culture. No, uh, uh, scripture teaches about itself that it is um, infallibly inspired by the Holy Spirit. So I wouldn't separate the Hellenistic philosophy from John. I would say that John, through the Holy Spirit, revealed what parts of Hellenistic philosophy were actually true of God and rejected those parts of Hellenistic philosophy that were false. We have to understand, uh, and that's that's key, understanding that the scriptures are written by the Holy Spirit, but the pen to paper is, is the author that we attribute it to. So the Gospel of John was written by um, John the Evangelist. So we understand that. Um, and someone I'm finishing up preaching through the gospel of John. So, and it's a tremendous work. Um, 
we have to understand that the gospel is written for a specific purpose in a, in a specific audience, right? So everybody regards Matthew's gospel to be the one that is written specifically for Jewish Jews, right? Um, that, and and it's, it's an incredible work. But we also see some differences in how that's written versus how John's written, because the specific purpose of John's gospel, which is found in John 21, is so that someone might believe. All these miracles and all these teachings that God, that the gospel of John is written for is to reveal the divine nature of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So that's the sole purpose. Now, there are some, um, I don't want to say discrepancies, but it's like you have these four eyewitness, you have these four accounts, eyewitness accounts of what happened in Jesus' ministry. And they all, you put them all together to see a fuller picture of the story because mm-hmm. none of them intended to give the fullest picture of the story. That's why we have four of them. So that's important for us to understand. So, of course, it's going to be influenced based on their culture because Mm -hmm. they were written for the first century. So when we look at it in the 21st century, we have to look at what was going on in that time and place. What was influencing these authors? You know, why is it important that, you know, um, the the camel passed through the eye of a needle, right? Or, you know, all the, you know, so what's, why is that important? Yeah, um, and that's why it takes deep study. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think though there is a categorical difference between studying history and culture to help understand the scriptures and elevating culture and history above the scriptures, which is what we right. often see when people begin to critique. Sometimes, you know, I've seen it done with the Gospel of John and Greek philosophy, but I've also seen it done with much of the Old Testament and what, what you might call ancient Jewish philosophy, where we some scholars will sort of take these, um, you might call them uh, uh, literary cousins of these, of, these, of these groups of writings and essentially use them to deconstruct and ultimately delegitimize. Yeah, and it's and it's really ridiculous because it's ta- like if you're going to write a newspaper article and you're writing it for the people in in whatever county you live in, right out there in Lenore, North Carolina, you're going to write it in a language that they can understand. Mm-hmm. Just like if I'm writing a newspaper article or a book for people here in Johnston County, I'm going to write it in a language that they can understand. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to expect for them to try to learn my language. I'm trying to speak it to them, mm-hmm. and as such you're going to use terms that they're familiar with. And John is rife with double entendres and imagery. I mean, it's the beauty of the gospel of John. It's one of the reasons why it it can be so impactful is that there's often double meanings in what he has to say. But just looking at John 1, and he refers to Jesus as the word, there's the the Greek Hellenistic philosophical understanding of the word being truth. Mm -hmm. And, And for a Hellenistic Jew, they would have gotten that. So to see that Jesus is the word, we read that today and we think that we immediately think of the word of God. And it means that plus it means truth. It, he's pointing to Jesus being the truth. He's using language that they would have understood in the first century, in their culture. And it means so much more than than what we often think it does. Yeah, but but there's another point to be made here, which is actually going to bring us back to EFS. Um we should not use, for example, Greek philosophy to judge the Gospel of John or the, or the letters of John. We should use John's writings to judge Greek philosophy. It, it, it's mm-hmm. totally, you've got it totally backwards. 
if if you are taking these contemporary writings and using them as a as a a tool of judgment against the scriptures if you believe in inspiration as the scripture teaches about itself um then it's the opposite it's that we take the scriptures and we judge the contemporary writings and ideas which is for example and i'm it's i think it's relevant that um brian actually brought up john uh, i think there are elements of greek philosophy that persist today in uh modern christian theological thinking that uh can lead to conclusions like EFS because one of one of the mainstay sort of uh, um, ideas within that Greek philosophy, which which was really uh, brought back into prominence with the Enlightenment of the 17th century, 17th, 18th centuries, would be the idea of rationalism. This idea that uh, we, uh, because of the mind that we would say God has given us, uh, some would just say the mind we have, we are able to reason and to rationalize and to exercise logic that brings us to uh, conclusions from from beginning from we we come we take information and we draw conclusions. I absolutely believe that's true. I believe that God gave us a mind that we can exercise reason, logic, rationality. Just not, just not too far like Calvin, right? If, if well, well, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> um, uh, we we can do all those things, right? But I, even our reason and our logic and our rationality is subject to the scriptures, which is why there, I, I think not necessarily all, but many people who reject the doctrine of Trinity, their ultimate um, uh, reason is not at any text of scripture. It is a logical argument where they just say, well, logically, this doesn't make sense to which I say, but the scripture teaches it. Um, and that should be, the case when it comes to things the scriptures teach, and I think it should also be the case when it comes to things the scriptures do not clearly teach, that we should not draw logical conclusions and then treat them with the same level of, of conviction that we do doctrines that are clearly taught by the scriptures. And I'm not, I picked on Calvin to start a fight with you, but I, I think this attitude is actually pervasive across the centuries. Uh, and I, I, I mean, I think another person we see this in a lot is augustine augustine oh uh, thank god for augustine and the the doctrines of god taught by scripture that he affirmed but there are many places in augustine's teaching where i think he's gone one step too far we believe what the scriptures teach no less and no more so so luke is totally in favor of just just read the scriptures don't really think too deeply about them i didn't say that i, didn't I mean that's that. That words that you use, but it is essentially the logical conclusion of what you just said. Uh, but going back to the to ESS, um, you know, we have to understand there there is a clear picture in the Bible that um, that Jesus is sent by the Father, right, and the Holy Spirit is sent by Father and Son. That's as clear as day. Um, so you have to ask the question, and in, in, in our minds, we think if some if I send you to go do something, that I have some sort of authority over you, and therefore there's some kind of hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Instead, we should look at it as a complementary view, complementing view, in that each person of the Trinity, each person of the Godhead has a role to fulfill. And it's not a, it's not something that is, um, 
that is in them different or, or that in their being is different is that their role simply is to fulfill a, a specific aspect of creation or salvation or any other aspect of the Christian life. So we should be on a daily basis interacting with all three persons of the Trinity. And, and, and of course, anytime that we interact with God, we are interacting with all three persons of the Trinity because they're, they are distinct from one another, but not separate. And so it, it's, not, it's not as though one day I'm going to uh, interact with the Son, and then the next day I'll interact with the Spirit, and then the day after that, interact with the Father. No, they're all involved anytime that we interact right. with God. And that's the clear and consistent testimony of Scripture, that God is indeed one. He's one. The New Testament does not contradict that. It, uh, it brings us to a deeper understanding of that truth. Oh my goodness, Brian! We're not. We're not. No one's fearful of textual criticism. In fact, textual criticism is a great gift from God that we have found in the last century, because what it does is it gives us even more confidence in the Word of God. What you're talking about, Brian, is using other your extra biblical resources to determine the validity of the scriptures. Mm -hmm. That is different. Yeah. So. Textual criticism is essentially the practice of looking at all the manuscripts that we have and looking at how they compare with one another to come out with a, 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 um, Bickford's much better at this than I am. So, so I'd love for him to chime in, but essentially you have all of these manuscripts that we have today measured against one another. I think we have like somewhere between 17 and 20,000 manuscripts mm -hmm. and they're measured against one another compared to see where there could be, you know, missing, a missing comma here or miss of the dot I there, you know, speaking in English terms. Um, and now you look at that and translate the Bible off of your one big document from mm -hmm. it. So that's textual criticism. And, and you can find how to translate certain words based on how they're used in extra biblical materials. So you can look at the first century and say, well, how is this word generally used in, you know, in the Koine Greek? How is it used elsewhere? And then you yeah. can use that to help you translate it into English. But textual, cri textual criticism is not saying, well, Philo says this, so therefore the scriptures must say that. Well, well it's interesting. Uh, Brian used two terms, and I would say the first one not only do I not fear it, I embrace it. Textual criticism. Any conservative, any conservative scholar embraces textual criticism. It's, it's the second one that's, that is the concern, the deconstructionism. Because right. at least in my experience, deconstructionism most of the time leads to what I would call picking and choosing. Hmm. Where we, once, we, once we, quote unquote, understand the biblical author, we then use that knowledge to deconstruct the, um, the text of scripture and decide what is valid for belief and, and practice of faith and what is not. And, and that, that is the real issue because that raises the whole question of authority. What or who is the ultimate authority? Um, if it's not God and his word, what he has said, then it has to be you. You are the ultimate authority deciding what's true and what's not. And maybe you're using very scholarly, academic, logical methods, but that doesn't change where the authority is being placed, right? Do Am I the ultimate authority for um, belief in God, or is he the ultimate authority? 
And has he revealed himself in a way that we can trust or not? Because if not, if we're going to get into deconstructionism, why stop at the Bible? I mean, just deconstruct anything you can find and determine where there's truth and where there's not. If, on the other hand, God has spoken with clarity and with authority in his word, the scriptures, those are the standard. Now, any textual criticism, any cultural information, any historical analysis that will help us to understand the intended meaning of the authors. Look, Eric and I are both exegetes. Uh, we, we don't believe that you should just take a text of scripture and shove it into your common uh, culture and, and time and then, and then just sort of interpret it as literally as you can and apply it however you please. We believe that we should, uh, to the best of our ability, seek to understand the text of scripture in the culture, in the language, in the context in which it was written, and then to apply it. However, what we are not willing to do is to use the culture, the language, and the context as a tool for cutting apart what we consider a whole work, which is the Bible, so that we can then determine for ourselves what is legitimate and valid for belief and practice and what is not. That's what we object to. Not textual criticism, deconstruct. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah, I'm with you. And it's kind of like, you know, the kind of deconstructing scripture and taking the bits and pieces that we agree with is how you end up with egalitarianism. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm joking. We got friends that are egalitarian that um that that don't do that they they come at it from a different angle although i disagree with them mm -hmm. um but those those who do you know those who do propagate homosexuality as something that is that is acceptable mm -hmm. um they often do do that right so th so they'll say well when paul speaks about um homosexuality right say in romans and elsewhere he's actually speaking about polygamous homosexual relationships he's not talking about monogamous uh homosexual relationships mm -hmm. because of the culture right so they'll say well in the culture they're um the homosexuals at that time were in, mostly in polygamous relationships mm -hmm. and therefore he's condemning that practice and he's condoning yeah. uh monogamous homosexual relationships yeah. but but this you don't get that. i mean that's just not true i mean mm -hmm. it, i mean maybe maybe it's true that in the first century there were people who were uh, polygamous and homosexual, just like there are people today that are heterosexual and homosexual that are polygamous, um, or at least have multiple multiple sexual partners. Yeah. So, you you, that's not the point of what Paul's saying, right? So so we got to be careful here. But but there's there's another point to be made here. I think you brought up a perfect example because the, the there's the issue of deconstructing a particular text, but then there's also the issue of do you view the scripture as a cohesive whole or not. Because, because if you don't believe in inspiration, then of course you wouldn't. It's just a bunch of writings written here and there by various people who had certain, you know, ideas that sort of connected them. And, and we're just we're just trying to sort of discern the truth within each writing. As opposed to if you believe what the scripture says about itself, that it was all inspired by the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, different authors, different languages, different cultures, but one Holy Spirit, then you're not just taking one text and trying to build a theology. You're actually taking the whole of scripture, which is what makes um, – and look, I'm, I'm softer on complementarianism versus egalitarianism than you, Eric, but I think it is similar in, in that – Okay, 
we don't reject um, homosexuality as sin just because of a few statements by Paul. We rejected a sin because of the whole testimony of Scripture affirming maleness and femaleness and their complementarity and rejecting uh, homosexuality in, in many places in Scripture and affirming in even more places. It's for that same reason that we hold to varying degrees of complementarianism. It's not just because of one thing that Paul said in one of his letters. It's because of the whole testimony. I mean, look, Genesis 1, 2, and 3 have just as much to do with my understanding of sex and gender as anything that Paul wrote. It's not more important, but it's just as important. And we believe that all those things hang together and support one another. We don't pit any one text of scripture against another. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and you know, just go to go to the complementarity, because it does speak to the economic nature of, of the mm-hmm. Trinity. Compliment, it's kind of like a sports team, right? A, ver- a successful basketball team are like you think of the 96 bulls right the 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 show that was on man i forget it now but i mean the whole country was watching this show um just a couple months ago it was phenomenal but the reason 96 96 97 bulls or was it 97 98 were so good is that you had different pieces to the puzzle on that team that made it the greatest team ever if you had everybody on that team um do the same thing if you had a team full of dennis robbins you'd have a really weird team Okay, they were not functioning very well. Uh, so you can't have Michael Jordan trying to do what Dennis Rodman does. You can't have Dennis Rodman trying to do what Michael Jordan does. It just doesn't work. They complement each other. Now there was a hierarchy on that team because MJ was the man. Like you just can't do anything with it. But ultimately, whether it's in the workplace or anywhere else, you have people of varying different sets of skills and abilities that fulfill a certain role in that facility in that workplace Mm -hmm. and um when you have people step out of that role the mission's not going to get accomplished quite like it would have Mm -hmm. if you parlay that into the trinity each person of the trinity has their specific role they complement one another they aren't they not not one person of the trinity holds some sort of hierarchical authority over the other same thing within the family you you and i are both complementarians and this is why so my issue with egalitarianism is that it leads to um, radical feminism in first off it's not biblical right i think there's an error in in understanding it in understanding our roles but two when you say when you put forward egalitarianism you're saying that there is no difference between men and women in complementarianism, now there are terrible forms of complementarianism that absolutely take it so far down the line that you see abuse. And that's in hierarchical, hierarchical I'm going to say it right one of these days, hierarchical complementarity, mm-hmm. which, I, which I reject. But real true biblical complementarity is such that you see that you have a husband and a wife who, who are unique and distinct from one another. One can, like going back to the beginning of the show, one can carry a child for nine months, the other cannot, but they both play a role in making that child, right? Um, And you have different responsibilities within the home, within that family to carry out God's mission in doing what? Making his name known and glorifying him. Your marriage is not about Luke and Lindsay Copeland. 
Mine is not about Eric and Robin Reynolds. Our marriage is about Christ. Hmm. And the Trinity is about the nature of God. Um, now, I'm, now, now let, let me say one more thing. Let me say one more thing, and then I'll let you have the last word, and we'll go to catechism. Let me say one more thing. Where the, um, the complementarians go wrong is actually the same way that the egalitarians go wrong. Because what the, what the egalitarians do often, not all of them, but, but many of them, is they elevate some scriptures over others. Mm-hmm. Okay? The complementarians do the same thing. Uh, look, for, for me, the basis of um, equal value but different roles, it, it's right from the beginning. It's in Genesis chapter 1, male and female, he created them. So male and female, you might say ontologically, the same. However, well, well, hold on. on. There is there is a difference in that uh, Adam was made of of dust. Hold up, I was I was getting there. And, okay, all right. Okay, and then and then in Genesis chapter two, we we see that we see where where there's a difference, right? Adam formed out of the dust, given breath by God. Eve formed out of Adam. So so we we hold both of those scriptures to be true. Um, man and woman, both made in the image of God and different from one another okay so this, this ties back distinct. Distinct. I'm not quite sure if, if you're distinct just distinct so just look in your drawer you can see this is where this is this is where this comes back to efs okay we see clearly clearly in scripture a difference in the roles of father son and holy spirit okay um ontologically is there, or let's let's not even go that far. Hierarchically, is there a difference? First um, off, you got to teach me how to say that word. E- <laughs> Hierarchically, we'll talk, we'll talk about it after the show. Um, EFS people say yes. Their opponents say no. I think the biblical answer is we don't know because it doesn't say, and we believe what Scripture says, no less and no more. You're saying you're leaving it open to that there could be a hierarchical nature. What, not only do I not know, I can't know because God has not revealed it. And it is not appropriate to teach it as doctrine because the scriptures do not teach it. The and scriptures definitely don't teach it. it do, they don't. And they do not clearly contradict it. They just don't say, so neither should we. Well, everybody, this was Luke's last show. <laughs> uh, let, let the record let the record show for for open the comments beat luke bickford i'm sicking you on him get him get him for a good 45 minutes now eric managed to avoid the terms heretic burning at the stake excommunication you didn't use any of those i'm proud of you no i would um this was shared with me from from bickford earlier i, I reread a portion of of John Frame's systematic theology, just to see what he had to say about the economic trinity and, and all in ESS, and it's it's interesting because even he who who is a I don't know if he's still a professor or he's a former professor over at Westminster Theological Seminary, um, very highly thought of, highly regarded theologian, um, one of the best of our time period, probably blows Grudem out of the out of the water. Highly recommend it. It's a it's super cheap. It's like twenty or thirty bucks on Amazon, I think. The Sistio. Um, but he uses the term ESS. He actually uses it and affirms the term, but he digresses. He, he doesn't 
he doesn't um, define it the same way that we did. So I'm not quite sure where I'd love to send him an email or something. Maybe I need to get his email address and talk hey, to him. Get him on the show. Have Dude, he would cool. blow us out of the water. He would blow uh Reftoons guy out of the water. He, yeah, I mean, this guy. I mean, you got, you got Reftoons on here. That guy's got like 10,000 followers. I say you just email him and ask him. Um, you know, I, I'm going to email him and he looks, if you look at his picture on the back of his book, he looks like he smoked cigars. So maybe we could have like a special cigar smoking episode. With Reach John out. Frame. Well, what would it hurt? Reach out to him. Um, but I, I would be interested in, and maybe he can break down some of our, our notions on this. Mm-hmm. So, um, with that said, Luke, decent episode. I think we lost about half the people. Um, once we start telling them to check their underwear drawers, it'll, 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 it'll be a little bit more black and white on Saturday. Was that supposed to be a joke? Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Canceled culture is real, and that's coming to Bible Banter. <laughs> this is this is one of the joys of not being a celebrity pastor. I can say things like that, and I, it's not going to make the news anywhere. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think you and I both agree on this. Like, okay, we we shared that my book is like just newly available on 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 what do you call it? Amazon, so you can go there and purchase it. But I really hope it doesn't sell like too many copies because I don't want to like come up on the radar of anybody. I'm not saying that it would, um, but it, you know I don't want that microscope. I yeah. like our I like our little denomination, our little niche where like people can uh, where we can talk things out and we don't feel like we're gonna try and get canceled. If you, know? you or I ever achieve celebrity status, the first thing we're gonna have to do is delete any record of Bible banter ever. Every every Bible what Bible banter? What there was no banter. <laughs> there is a bible <laughs> and, and some of our audience questions the bible so that'll be interesting do we uh, do we want to touch the catechism or do you want to call it yeah man i'm always about the catechism man get that catechesis it's good catechesis prevents heresy you heard it here hopefully not first you should be catechizing your children catechizing feel- yourselves it's a very it's a very negative view of the catechism it doesn't just prevent heresy it establishes good doctrine boom how is that a negative view well, I know. I mean, it does. It does. It does prevent heresy, but that's not the main appeal. No, no. You know what the main appeal to the catechism is? Let me. Let me listen. You can go pick this up on Amazon as well. Pick it up while you're picking up my book, right? But you can also probably call ACGC. Maybe they'll give you a little bit of a discount. I don't know. Um, you know, when you go to ACGC, go to the checkout counter and say, "Give them, put in the code Bible Banter BB for life," and they'll probably charge you an extra ten percent. Yeah, but, there, there is there is no Bible. Let's be clear. There is no Bible banter code anywhere for anything. There isn't. There isn't. Although I am working on it, but that's a whole other thing. Um, not with ACGC. That's a whole other matter. Um, Luke doesn't even know. But um, where was I going with this? Oh, you can go pick up the catechism. The importance of the catechism is this. Catechesis leads to doxology. It leads to praise of God. If you're reading the catechism and it does not cause you to praise God, then there's an issue with the way that you are reading it. Hmm. All right. Do it. No. What's our question? Richard Waters, man. Richard, I ordered it. Eric should be here Sunday. Look at that. I love what Luke said earlier, talking about believing the Bible, nothing more, nothing less. Boom. Richard you know what, Richard? You are our number one fan today. I don't know how long you've been watching today, but 
you are our number one fan, even though you misspell my name. Yeah. So that's now, okay. now, while you're grabbing your catechism, I should acknowledge something that Pama has said, which is true. Uh, someday we will be held to account for every careless word. So even if it's not blasted on the news, we should be careful what we say and how we say it. Good reminder, Pama. Five words from a dear saint. Thank you very much, Pama. By the way, I watched a bit of your service. Is Palma the one that read a little bit in the beginning of service? This Sunday? No, no, no. That's that's Sandra. That's another one of our members. Okay. Dear Saints, I love seeing the Saints of God on a Sunday morning, whether they're in Lenore or Joku. So, what question are we on? Uh, question 25. Luke, Luke, what authority? Look, we are talking about authority now. <laughs> Respect my authority. What authority did God give Adam and Eve? Dominion over all the earth. Yes, to rule over all his creation. Genesis one twenty six says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Wow, that kind of sounds like God is speaking about, dare I say, a trinity? Multiple person? I, I, don't, I don't know if we want to get into that today. That The use of that Hebrew plural pronoun is very complicated. <laughs> so um, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Steve White wants to be the number one, number two fan. He's you, been here a while. <laughs> so you, you may have been here a while, but I've literally never seen your name before. In order to, to make it onto the top fan list, you got to be participate in the comment section. <laughs> he just did. So, Steve, get this right. I would not be where I am without Steve White. To be honest. So, Steve um, was the youth pastor of a church I, I was volunteering in when I when we first started attending church regularly as a family and whatnot, got baptized in that church. Um, Steve was the youth pastor. I mean, it was a humongous church. I, his, his youth group has has probably twice as many people in it than you and I have combined on a Sunday morning, just in his youth group. I mean, he's phenomenal. Great teacher, great expositor of the word. Um, he and his wife are, are dear friends. So um, thanks, Steve, for watching. Great folks. Well, now, Eric, uh, it, it's funny that you went back to Genesis because I'm going to ask you a little Bible pop quiz question that's actually going to bring us back to the very beginning of this podcast. I wasn't done talking about chapter twenty or oh, question oh. twenty-five. Man. Finish. Go ahead. I was just going to say, man, that God has put us as, as stewards over all of creation. So everything that we've been given, right? So no matter what in life. So say tomorrow you won ten thousand dollars in the lottery. Uh, first off, don't play the lottery, Christian. Right. I'm just kidding. You can play the lottery if you want to. But um, if you won ten thousand dollars tomorrow, that is a gift from the Lord. And you are called to steward it. You are called to steward your family. You're called to steward your talents and your time. So when you waste your time on pointless things, guess who you're robbing? The Lord. You're being a poor steward. Uh, I guess no more hockey, huh? That's too bad. Well, uh, here's here's my little pop quiz question. Uh, no, 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 because Paul, I, that's a joke, because Paul says that physical exercise does have some value. He says that. I, um, I'll also point this out. I, I had a conversation with someone that I played hockey with, hadn't seen him in months, played hockey with, and he reached out to me for pastoral advice. So okay. take that, Luke. Maybe you should be playing some hockey. All right, here's my pop quiz question. To the community, not just your church. Remember that. What is, your what is the first command that God gives mankind in Scripture? Uh... Knowing you, I'm going to – off the top of my head, I'm thinking be fruitful and multiply. 
Be fruitful and multiply. So that brings us back to the beginning. But no, my just one quick comment on, on this particular answer to the look, this is so important to understand that God's given us dominion because it explains why the world is the way it is. Because man has authority over creation, creation fell with man. And when man is restored, so will be all creation. So essentially, you can stop blaming Donald Trump for the coronavirus and <laughs> start blaming Adam. <laughs> Let there be light. Ah, Mike, so I noticed I did not ask what's the first command in Scripture, because that would be let there be light. But the first command to humankind is be fruitful and multiply. Which makes Luke very happy. Oh, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm just obedient. You're just That's obedient. <laughs> so wait, how many kids do you have? Uh, three. Three. You guys plan on having any more, or is that too much? Is that we can't? Is well, that like an after hours talk? One, one at a time. We'll get there. We're okay, working on okay. it. You're working on it. You're trying to put those quivers in the in. We're working on it. Trying to put the put, trying to put the arrows in the quiver. I, I want a full quiver, baby. <laughs> Noahide laws. Um, that's a great question, but we don't have time today. Ask again another time, Brian. Or just or just wait for Luke to engage in the comment section. <laughs> he can't help himself. Yeah, By the way, I, man, you did you cancel? Did you get rid of your Facebook or something? Because I try to like tag you in things, and mm -hmm. I never, I never get to tag you. I didn't get rid of Facebook. I unfriended everyone who wasn't a direct family member. I will probably start loosening up a little bit in the coming weeks. Wait, so I, you unfriended me? I did. I I unfriended you. <laughs> I unfriended you unfriended me Eric you awful person I, we text on a regular basis I unfriended you and I unfriended every member of my church what is wrong with you oh this is the worst thing I've heard all day you're we're not friends anymore like if we're not friends on Facebook then it's not Facebook. official Facebook is not real life, okay? Dude, dude, this is so uncool, man. Totally uncool. You have have I stopped treating you like a friend just because you yes, you unfriended me on Facebook. I, oh, I do this. my heart hurts. I do this podcast with you. I text and call you all the time. The members of my church, they're they're still my friends. I still talk to them. They're not your friends. You unfriended you legit. There's a button. That says unfriend and you clicked it. Facebook is not real life. I I needed to simplify my social media life a little bit because it was getting a little crazy and I didn't have the maturity to handle it. So I simplified in in the coming uh, weeks and months, now that I've recovered somewhat and become a bit more grounded. I, I'll probably start to open things up again. But for a while, I did, I just didn't want to open up Facebook and see anything except a family member's update. Uh, and that does not mean that I'm not friends with the people who, by the way, I continue to be friends with. Look, I will point this out. that You and I, this is a biblical matter. This is a pastoral matter. Okay, so I'm giving you some pastoral counsel here, right? I'm admonishing my dear brother that... <clears throat> You and I are, we are bound by a greater blood than that of your family. And that is the blood of Christ. And you have flushed that down the toilet. I am distraught. <laughs> I flushed down the toilet union in Christ because you're not my Facebook friend. I mean, 
I still, I'm still going to consider you a friend, even though you have not considered me a friend because you know why? Because I'm loving and I'm caring. I'm, I'm, you know, all right well that was a great podcast everybody eric got a little bit sensitive at the end but we had some we had some really good discussion of what are some important issues we bantered about the bible that's what we do that's why we're called what's our name eric uh bible banter bible banter that's right bible, Thanks, that's the one yeah yeah that bible banter go check out luke's new book go teaching all that jesus commands to those that jesus that that is, that, is, that is Eric's new book. As much as I enjoyed the book, Eric, I'm not willing to take credit for it. That's on you. You should write a new book. You should write a book, man. I'm working on it. Boom. You heard Mike, it here first. Mike, you, my friend, are trouble, and I appreciate that about you. Have a great week, y'all. <laughs> take it easy. Happy 4th of July. Happy Independence Day. Go Lincoln. <laughs>